welcome. I'm with Jürgen Turner from Experts for Excellence. Jürgen, thanks for joining me and thanks so much for taking part in this recent What's the Scoop, uh, where we're looking at 2022 trends. It's been really fascinating to um, read what's what's come in and there have been some uh, some consistent ones and some that have come out of left field. So I wanted to look at your three main takeaways. The first one is kind of the standout one that everybody else, everybody is talking about, and that's supply chain shortages. How do you see that going in 2022? More of the same? Um, no, I think I think um, economies and industries will recover from that shortage um, because um, demand is up, um, and and producers of especially electronic components they come back to their regular capacities, uh, which they have sized down in a way when Corona started. Meanwhile, they, they understand uh, Corona should not be a blocker anymore. So they are they are scaling up again in, in terms of their capacity. So I would expect uh, materials coming back in, in, in sufficient uh, sizes uh, to the markets. However, the, the problem that I see is that a lot of OEMs or EMS companies consuming that material, may that be raw material, may that be electronic components. Um, they have started building up safety stocks. Hmm. So they have placed probably more orders than they would actually need, even if the demand is, um, is, is back and even if the demand is, um, is rising in uh, 2022. But what will happen is that the, the producers of components, they will have an overproduction. And then the, the OEMs, once they once they have sufficient material in their in their um, in their facilities back again, they would slow down and uh, they would not pull any options they have placed in 2021, which then in the long term would lead to a bull whip effect. So yeah. uh, the suppliers going back to to downscaling their capacities, then the demand goes up again, um, and they uh, and then the supply will go up again, and this will create a bull whip effect. Uh, that's yeah. what, I, what I fear. In yeah, yeah, and I'm inclined. I'm inclined to agree with you there. I think there's a second dynamic happening in the supply chain, and that's the freight and logistics side. Yes. Um, and we see many, many challenges there. I interviewed Don Ackery of TTI recently, and he said almost every day he's asked by someone to get a helicopter out to a container ship and get their container off. <laughs> and he has yeah. to constantly explain that that can't really happen. Um, yeah. Do you see that logistics settling and fixing itself? Because I think that's a concern to a lot of people. They're paying three, four, five X for their container costs and stuff's just not getting there on time it's not getting offloaded it's not getting onto enough trucks i think that will remain a problem in in 2022 um and i mean the case that we have seen in the in the suez canal uh with the uh, with the one ship that was blocking the canal um that that shows that how fragile this whole this whole system is as soon as the the, the, the slightest thing happens uh then the whole system um gets into trouble and um, yeah and since the the amounts of components that that uh, need to be shipped to fulfill the demand uh, is still high and, and probably even increasing to just to to, uh, to cover the, the consumption, um, that will still be a problem in in twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right there. Let's come on to your second one because I think it's interesting how these things all wrap together: sustainability, the strife for climate neutrality. Um, what you've interestingly done is set that against the um, the German Supply Chain Act and the European Green Deal. Tell me a bit about how you see that playing out and what impact that's going to have on the EMS industry. 
Yeah, when when um, uh, when this German supply chain act was released um, in early this year, it was clear that uh, this will be a legally binding uh, thing from the first of January uh, twenty twenty three onwards. Most people thought, okay, um, we as a company, not not every company will be affected in the first place, only the, the, the big ones with 3,000 employees and more, but the smaller ones will follow. And most people thought, okay, we just need to make sure that uh, in our supply chain, there is no child labor involved, there is no bribery involved in these kind of things. Um, that requires some, some work for us to do, um, uh, but we will manage that. But if you look at the whole thing it's more than just proving there is no child labor involved or there is no bribery involved because it's also going especially when you look at the at the european green deal act uh, that goes in the direction okay um from where do you source the the energy for your plants okay is that is that a renewable energy is that green energy what is your um efforts internally to run a paperless office okay reduce uh, printing of papers, um, digitalize uh, workflows, these kind of things. And, um, and then the next step, of course, will be um, what is your um, carbon dioxide footprint of your products? And this is not very easy to calculate. You can calculate the carbon, di uh, uh, carbon dioxide footprint of a, of a factory pretty easy uh, with some efforts. But then bring it back down on a uh, on a product. That's not so easy. Uh, you can you can do that um, by just applying a key, saying, "Okay, we have 100 active products, and um, these products require different manufacturing steps and have a different power consumption, have a have a, a different air pressure consumption, wastewater um, uh, producing." Uh, and then you apply a key and, and 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 break that down to the product. But this will always only be a guesstimate. Okay. Yeah. Uh, guest estimate. Um, we need um, software solutions that will enable the companies to calculate the CO2 footprint of the product when it's being produced, just by calculating the CO2 footprint of the process and all the materials that go into the product. Mm. That is something that we need. And that's that's a big thing to do. Yeah, and it's I a big think, challenge. Yeah, and I think most companies don't even see that challenge at the moment. No. No. So that's going to be a big awakening. And, and I think when you look at that, I think it's fascinating to see how we can look at life cycle analysis from that point of view, how we can look at supply chain analysis yeah. and how we can say, well, you know, if this supply chain is changed somewhat, then that might impact the carbon, um, the, the carbon footprint of a specific product. And, 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 you know, that along with the logistics issues and the supply chain shortages that we talked about, uh, I wonder if that plays into the uh, the the need for shorter supply chains, for supply chains that are much more in region for region, that um, you know, are much more are much more what we had decades and decades ago before we before we pursued low cost labor around the world. Absolutely, yeah, and I think that will be that will be a trend for the next ten years or so. Shorten supply chains, uh, make supply chains more local. And therefore yeah. more, more resilient against, I mean, we just talked about the Suez Canal thing. Um, if my supply chain of German factory is in, in Poland or in, 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 in the Czech Republic, it doesn't matter whether there is a, a ship got stuck in the, in the Suez Canal. Absolutely. And if one road gets blocked or another, you know, a yeah. tunnel gets blocked, there's another way around it. It's not, we don't have these 
these bottlenecks of uh, yeah of risk. Yes. So yeah, I think uh, you know I think that's interesting, and I think shorter supply chains could be a a great boon for sustainability as well. So there's all kinds of benefits there, and it does mean a renaissance in terms of manufacturing in places where there is a there is a high demand. So a big opportunity for Western Europe, a big opportunity for um, North America. And interestingly, when I talk to CEOs of companies that have manufacturing footprints in China, and I say, are you being pushed away from China? And they're saying, hey, to be honest, a lot of our Chinese manufacturing is now going to Chinese OEMs and going to, you know, globally OEMs that 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 want stuff shipped into China. So we're already doing region for region in China, even as a European or North American company. So yeah, mm. it's um, it's fascinating to see how those supply chains are changing. The last one that you mentioned, you are the only person of 28 entries um, so far that mentioned. Um, and it's one that just stood out to me and made me think both wow and oh my goodness, what are we gonna do about this? And that's cybercrime as a service. Um, and cybercrime generally is a is a real threat to um, to businesses and particularly businesses that are managing supply chains for other people. Tell me where you see that. Yeah. So um, the reason why I why I brought that point up is because nobody talks about it. And but if you look at the uh, at the World Economic Forum's last um, risk report of uh, 2021. It's on the it's a, in the in the um, on the top right side of the of the landscape of um, of global risks to to companies and to supply chains, mm -hmm. um, and so I digged a little bit into that one um, also because I prepared for my university lecturing for that subject, and I found a number of really really uh, threatening um, details and um, and read some reports also from the German Federal Crime. Uh, police office um, about cyber threats in in 2021 or 2020. The the biggest problem is ransomware attacks on on companies, mid-sized companies who don't have that really high sophisticated IT mm. security, and, um, and and they are just vulnerable for for these kind of things. And the the point here is, it doesn't need to be uh, it doesn't need to have technical experts anymore to run these attacks. You and I, we could do that. I mean, if we would have a, um, a criminal energy, it's it's so easy. Mm. Uh, I don't want to lay out how it's 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 going uh, to work yeah. because I don't want to give anyone a recipe here. But you can buy um, cyber attacks as a service from organized crime companies. Organized crime, meanwhile, acts like like um, industry companies. They have an organization. They have an, they have a CEO. They have a COO. They have CTOs. Um, and they just sell their services just in this mm. different universe, in this criminal universe. But getting from, from the legal universe into the criminal universe is simple. Uh, it's easy. Everybody can do that. Um, and um, I mean, yeah, as I said, if you and I, if we would have a, a criminal uh, energy here, we could Yeah, do yeah. It's alarming, isn't it? And people have got to be, you know, people have got to be aware of it and have got to be prepared for it. And, you know, we talk a lot about the outsourcing of industry, but the outsourcing of crime is, um, <laughs> you know, is 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 absolutely um, alarming. I would say to anybody, you know, keep an eye on what on what Jürgen Turner is um, is writing and saying, because he's he's spotting stuff that a lot of us aren't aware of. So um, keep doing that. Keep informing us, Jürgen. And again, thank you so much for your participation participation in what's the scoop and um 
all the best for the for the holidays and for the new year. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. My pleasure. Um, always my pleasure uh, talking to you. And also same for you. Have a very good 20, 20, 20.